Well, good morning. My name is Dan. And as Bill said, I have an identical twin brother named Ken, so you might confuse us. We both attend worship here, usually here at this third service. Um, And so sometimes people do get confused. We were both senior pastors in Indiana for a few years and I, we did a swap where I preached at his church and he did at mine. Someone came up to me afterward and said, Ken, this was the first time I could hear you with the microphone on correctly or something like that. Even after the message, still didn't get through that we are two different people. When you hear the word used, is that a positive or negative connotation? Probably negative, right? I pitched the idea of this book to a friend of mine who's an author. I was calling the book Used at the time, not Who's Using You. And I said, here, what do you think of this book called Used? And he said, Dan, you could come up with any number of books with negative connotation titles because no one else is doing that. (laughs) Not necessarily a good idea, right? So came up with something a little more positive or reflective. We think of the word used, it's, it's usually a negative idea. In fact, when I was growing up, I had a friend who so determined he was never going to be used by any of his friends. You, you, have you ever felt like maybe you have a friend who's just using you for your stuff, for your toys or for your things? And, and he was so determined that when he had lunch at school, if he had anything left over, he would toss it in the trash rather than offer it to other people because he just didn't want anyone to use him. And so we think of this as a, as a negative idea to be used, but we are always being used by the things that we say, the things we do, are serving someone. Someone is pleased by the things that we do and say. My wife and I met when we were 13 in eighth grade at Talbert. And, yeah, and we uh, dated throughout high school. We got married when we were 20. And because we knew each other for seven years before getting married, we were not married at our high point. You know, maybe if we had known each other for a year, we would have had a honeymoon year, and then things would have gotten difficult seven years later. But we were actually married kind of at our most difficult moment in our marriage was our first year, because it was our seventh year together. And I was a pastor, and each Saturday night, we would argue and bicker and fight. And then a few hours later, I'd come to church church and preach the next morning. And this went on for a few months before it really clicked. This is a spiritual battle, the timing of this. And it really clicked. And then there was a moment, and I hope we can all have a moment like this in our relationships, a moment that did change everything. When I realized all along I had been envisioning I was fighting with my wife. Isn't that what it sounded like? Isn't that what I just said? And I realized that is not what's happening here. Is what does Ephesians tell us is happening when we're fighting? Our battle, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but is with powers and principalities and rulers of darkness. I changed my thinking in a moment, one particular Saturday night, from thinking I was fighting with my wife to fighting for my wife. That we are in the midst of a spiritual battle and we are in the middle of a battle between God and the devil over the future of our marriage. Not fighting against each other, but for that marriage. John 10.9 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the devil has a plan to do, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he is fighting for and has in mind. And we were being used 
by him for that purpose. Whereas John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And that's how he wants to use us. So right in those two verses, we have this choice between how will you be used? Will you be used in the devil's plan to steal, kill, and destroy, or in God's plan to give life and have life abundantly? And we determined that we would be used by God. I remember in certain moments where I would come up with something insulting or mean to say to my wife, and I would think, that was really clever. That was a good one. And then the thought occurred to me, that was served up on a silver platter by Satan to me, and I'm not congratulating myself. He's congratulating himself on how he got me to play into it and got me to say it and got me to do it. You can be used by God. You can be used by other people. You can be used by the devil. It's our choice, and I can think of no better New Year's resolution than every day to be used by God. And that's our big idea this morning. If you're following along in the paper, the big idea is that the most significant thing you can do this year is decide to be used by God. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Those who cleanse themselves will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Now, in the Jewish temple, there were a lot of instruments And it's amazing how many of them, in fine detail, were crafted in gold. It actually says in the Bible that the wick trimmers for the candles in the temple had to be gold because they were set apart for a special purpose. All of this is a foreshadowing or an image of what you are because you are the temple of God. And you are an instrument in that temple fashioned beautifully for service to God. But we can be used in other ways. That's why it's a choice. And there's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to the story of a man named Onesimus. It's a short book called Philemon in the New Testament written by Paul. And some people think the Bible doesn't address the issue of slavery well enough or that it doesn't come down on the issue of slavery enough, but it actually beautifully, there's a book of the Bible that clearly says slavery is wrong, and it's the book of Philemon, and it's about this slave owner who owns a man named Onesimus. And Paul recognizes, who's writing this book, he's the one who wrote in Galatians, in the gospel there is no Greek nor Hebrew, male nor female, slave nor free. And so Paul says to Philemon, set Onesimus free. And his word, when he says that, he says, he, used, he was formerly useless to you, but now he has become useful to me. And this is a play on words in the Greek name Onesimus, which means useful. Paul's saying he was formerly useless, and now he's become useful. We were formerly not useful to God. That's the gospel, that we were born into sin, born with an evil nature, a self-serving nature, But when you're self-serving, you're really not just serving yourself, are you? You're also serving the enemy. But God redeemed us and made us useful to him. We were formerly useless. Now we've become useful. There was a, a man who came to our adoption agency, and he was 80 years old. One of my coworkers said, well, in his defense, he looked 79. 
Okay. But anyway, he came to our adoption agency, and he was interested in adopting. And he's beyond our age limit. Our age limit's around 65, usually, for adopting. But anyway, what he said to me was, Dan, I have done everything I want to do, and I don't want to spend the rest of my life, the years that I have left, on a cruise ship or on a golf course. I want to make a difference. And so we came up with some ways that he could continue to make a difference in this area for children in need. What a great attitude for each of us that every day will be useful to God. God has put you for this purpose. Think of Queen Esther in the Old Testament. The book of Esther is about a woman who finds herself an ordinary woman in an extraordinary circumstance where there's an opening for the position of queen, and King Xerxes chooses Esther, but she wasn't interested in being in the king's court. She wasn't interested at all. She wanted to live a quiet, simple life, and she was Jewish. Meanwhile, in King Xerxes' court is a man named Haman, who was second in charge, and he has this plot to exterminate the Jewish people. And that's going to include Esther. So Esther is uncertain how she's going to save herself, let alone how she would save anyone else, when there's this plot to exterminate her and all her people, and the king isn't even aware that that's exactly what's going on. And as you think about all these characters in the book, it's amazing to see how they all imagine themselves as independent actors serving their own purpose, when in reality, everyone is a pawn. Everyone is being used by someone else. Esther is being used by the king. The king is being used by by Haman. Haman is being used by Satan. Everyone's being used by someone else. And Mordecai is Esther's cousin who adopted her. And he tells her, you need to go to the king and beg to spare our lives. She says, this is illegal. He'll kill me. Even though I'm the queen, I'm not allowed to approach the king. I'm not allowed to ask things of him. I only come when summoned. And Mordecai says to her, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance from the Jews will come from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And this is the important part that applies to all of us. Mordecai says, and who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Well, who knows that every one of us is here. We are all here for such a time today to be used by God. In his kingdom. This was Esther's response in Esther 4.16. She says, I will go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. Now, did she have so little regard for her own life that she was willing to go die by asking the king for mercy? No, she believed that she could be positioned here in this place and time to be useful to God, to be used by God rather than used by other people, rather than be used by the devil. You were made to be used. Isaiah 43, 6 through 7 says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, who I formed and made. God made you and formed you and all the people in all the corners of the earth, in all languages and tribes to be used for this purpose, to give glory to him. Point number one on your outline is that you are always being used. 
We are not independent actors. Now, I'm not talking about every action you do is fated or predetermined. What I am saying is that someone is happy with everything you say and everything you do, and it's your choice to decide who's going to be happy. Who are you going to serve? Because you do have to serve someone. Isn't that what Jesus says? You can't serve two masters. But can you serve no masters? No, we're not that independent. You will please God with your words, or you will please the devil. You will be used by other people, or you'll be used by God. But we're not as independent as we imagine. Sometimes we're used completely unconsciously, without even realizing it. Our organization, Nightlight, has an adoption program in the nation of Kyrgyzstan. And if you're wondering where that is, it's right next to Tajikistan, which is below Kazakhstan, but not bordering Uzbekistan. And so it's a different culture. It's a different part of the world, on the other side of the world. And we have a a staff member who works there. She's Kyrgyz, and she speaks a little bit of English. So her cultural worldview is very different from ours. And we had an American woman go adopt from Kyrgyzstan, And she was very overweight. She was over 500 pounds. And Solly, who's our Kyrgyz staff member, she she just, she broke kind of an American, you know, did an American taboo. She said, I'm really embarrassed to bring you to court because you're so fat. Now, this is completely acceptable there. They talk like that. So anyway, she she did adopt. Then a few years later, Solly came to the United States and met this woman who had lost hundreds of pounds. And she said, what did you do? And she said, Solly, you changed my life. Now, did she learn that she was fat from Solly? No, this didn't teach her anything. It was just a moment that God used in the words of someone else who had no idea they would be of any significance that gave her the impetus to change something she already knew that she needed to do. So you can be used by God or by other people or by the devil without even realizing it. You can be used without being willing, even if you're conscious of it. Think of the book of Genesis where we read of the story of Joseph. He knew all along what was happening. He knew he was being used, but he wasn't really making any decisions. He was completely at other people's mercy. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, bought by a slave owner. First, they wanted to kill him. Then they decided they could make more money by selling him. Then he goes into Pharaoh's court, and Potiphar, who's an assistant to Pharaoh, is uh, is working with Joseph, and his wife tries to use Joseph. So first, he's used by his brothers, then he's used by his slave owners, then Potiphar's wife tries to use him. Then he goes to prison, and... The cupbearer to the king and the chief baker, they use Joseph to interpret their dreams. Then Pharaoh uses Joseph in order to rebuild the kingdom and prepare for a great famine. Then Joseph's brothers come back and they're terrified because they're thinking, here's a man we know we used. What is he going to do to us? And all the while, what is Joseph's attitude? Look how people are always using me. Look how... I'm always being used. No, that wasn't his attitude. This is what he says to his brothers. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Genesis 45, 8. 
It was God who sent me here. And then in Genesis 50, 20, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph recognized that even though he did not choose all of the things that happened to him, he could be used by God in the midst of those things that were happening to him, or he could be used by other people. And his choice consistently was to be used by God. Jesus has the attitude not only to be used consciously, but to be used willingly. And that's where we need to get to. Not just used consciously, but also willingly. In Philippians 2, 4 through 7, we read, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus willingly and consciously chose to be used by God. And that's what we imitate and practice as Christians. You are never used up or useless. There was a woman who came to a Sunday school class I was teaching several years ago, and she was 80 years old and in this Sunday school class, and she came to church alone, and I was teaching a class on evangelism. And I think she thought, this is going to be really easy for me because I clearly get a pass. I don't have to do anything. She said, I'm wheelchair-bound, and I'm old, and I don't see how I could do anything to evangelize. And I said, Kay, do you have anyone in your family who isn't a believer or doesn't go to church? And she said, well, yes, there's my son and my daughter-in-law, my granddaughter. And then she named a few other family members. And I said, well, do any of them live with you? And she said, oh, yeah, they all live with me. I said, do any of them go to church? And she said, no, none of them go to church. And I said, Kay, you can be used by God to witness to your family. She didn't just, over the next couple years, get them to come to church they experienced a radical life change where they gave their hearts to Christ and their relationships were transformed and she was used by God and had no idea what was in store in her future through ministering to her family like that. I was used without realizing how bad it was when I was a pastor of a church in Indiana. It was a very difficult time for me pastoring that church. I learned a lot, but I was young And I confided in a friend of mine named Hank, who's about my age, and I I said to him, uh, took a couple hours to complain about everyone in the church to him. So I told him what I didn't like about this person and how this person made me mad and how this person was frustrating. And he listened graciously, and at the end of my rant, which I, by the way, could have justified, I could have said, Lord, thank you for giving Hank to me so that you can use him to listen and encourage me. But anyway, Hank said to me, he shook his head and he said, Dan, do you have any idea how much Jesus loves his bride? The bride you just slandered. And I realized that I had been used by the devil to slander the bride of Christ, which he dearly loves. Everything we do and say is used by God or used by others and is a choice of how we want to be used. So, point number two today is that relationships are transformed 
when you ask, how can God use me in the other person's life? Relationships are transformed when you recognize that. I told you earlier about my wife and me having that moment that changed everything for us when I realized I'm not an independent actor here. The devil is pleased with how I behave in my marriage. I don't want to be used like that anyway, anymore. Now, be careful because once the word gets out that you are going to transform your relationships by asking yourself how God is using you in the other person's life, people can hold it against you because I can say something now that's kind of rude and my wife will say, now who's using you at the moment? Uh, Just a little reminder, you did say that you wanted to be used by God, so how are you being used now? When, When this book first came out, I handed a copy of it to my son and I said, Micah, I don't know of any other way to have successful relationships than to ask yourself this question, who's using you? And he said, okay, Dad, your book is that important. I said, no, it's not my book, and I didn't come up with the idea. I'm just telling you, I don't know of another way to have successful relationships than to ask yourself that question, who's using you? Because there's an answer usually we can figure out. I remember several years ago uh, returning to the church that I just mentioned that I had slandered. And after moving to California, I visited the church in Indiana about 15 years later. And there was a woman who was walking out, you know, shaking hands as everyone was leaving the church that morning. And I was a little anxious about meeting her again because she was one of the most difficult people I'd known. And so I was going to be polite and shake her hand. And she came up to me and she shook my hand and she said, Dan, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. And you know what my first thought was? How unfair fair, that I have to remember all of this and you get to forget it. But you know what I realized after that? I just got a glimpse of heaven. I got a glimpse of heaven because it says in Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God has done that not only for her, he's done it for me. He'll do it for all of us. And I just think of how God used that moment. The words she said to me reminded me of the goodness of God, which far exceeds my own. Let me tell you what I think is the most important moment in my life, recognizing that point, that relationships are transformed when you ask, how can God use me in the other person's life? My wife and I adopted a boy, his name is Sonny, when he was seven years old. We were 25 at the time, so we learned parenting on a seven-year-old at the age of 25. It was hard. Certainly, um, I, I feel bad that we had to learn on him. Anyway, he lied to us on a particular day, and I remember that year being so difficult, the first year he was in our home. And I walked away from him lying, and I said, Lord, it would have been easier if you didn't give us a liar. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with adoption, because I wasn't thinking of it as an adoption. I was just saying it would have been easier if he wasn't a liar. If, if, and it wasn't a regret about adopting him. It was more like we say nowadays, just saying, I'm just saying, it would have been easier if he had not given us a liar. Can we all agree that would have been easier, right? And this is one of those moments, one of those rare moments, few moments in life where you clearly hear God speak to you. Here's what I heard God say to me. 
Easier for whom? Yeah, that's what I thought. Because <laughs> I, I had been thinking what would make my life easier. And I, if you're thinking that where I'm going with this is, was it easier for Sonny? That's not where I'm going with it. What I heard God saying is, it's easier for God to accomplish what he's trying to do by doing it the way he went about it, which was putting Sonny in my home. You see, God is doing something. God is conforming his children into his image. And he put them on loan in my house so that I could help God. I could be used by God as an instrument in the work that God is doing in the lives of his children. That's what I heard God saying to me when he said, easier for whom? That God is shaping Sonny into the image of Christ. And when God, at the foundation of the world, planned out how he was going to perfectly disciple his son, he said, I'm going to put him in that home so that I can accomplish what I need to do. And I realized that that's far more important than what's easy for me or even easy for him is how is God going to accomplish his task of raising his children? It's by using me as his instrument. That's how I want to be used in the people's lives around me. When I was teaching at Biola University, one of the students raised her hand and asked a question about heaven. And she said, will my dad get to be my dad in heaven? Isn't that a haunting question? I, when I heard that, I thought, I want to meet that guy who is worthy of his daughter asking that question. And I want to be like that guy, that my kids would, be, would want that. Here's a man who's being used by God in the lives of the people around him. The third point this morning is that you are gifted for use. You are gifted for use by God. 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 6 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Every person here is gifted for use. Not only did God put you here to be used by him, but he gave you a specific set of gifts unique to you for how you can be used. Now, some people are very conscious of this, and other people are still searching. But regardless of where you're at, that's why I'm challenging you this year to ask every day, how can God use me? Because even if you think you know the answer, there could be a completely unknown, surprise way that God could use you today. There's a man who has fixed three of the windows in our house on three different occasions, and he, is, he clearly understands how God uses him. He's an evangelist, and he talks about the gospel every time he gets the chance and uses windows simply as a window, as a way to get in the door. So if you ask him what his job, my job is to win people for Christ. Oh yeah, and I do it by installing windows. Uh, the last time he came over to our house, he, he'd met our family before, seen our kids before, and he said to me, is your oldest son, does he go to church? And I said, well, he, he's a believer, but he doesn't go very often. He said, well, I'll talk to him. And so I came home later that night, and boy, did I hear from it from Sonny. You know, that, yes, the window guy talked to me about it, about going to church. So some people are really conscious about their giftedness and how they're being used. 
But there's other people who can be completely surprised or pushed out of their comfort zone. My wife usually doesn't talk to people over eight years of age. She's a kindergarten teacher and very introverted. But we were at a Carl's Jr. in Oklahoma City one time, and we heard a table next to us of people complaining about their church. They were complaining about their pastor. They were complaining about the guest speaker who was a missionary. There were too many slides. They were speaking in another language. The service went too long. The music was irritating. The music was too loud. Anyway, my wife got up and never done anything like this before. She walked over to the table and she said, it sounds to me like you're more interested in yourselves than you are in the gospel or in serving God. One of the women there said, well, to each his own. And another person said, you're probably right. And as I look at that story, I realize how every person was in a, a place of being used, like they were being used by the devil to slander. They were being used by other people. My wife chose to be used by God. One of the uh, people at the table was open to it, to listening. Another person wasn't. What opportunity is God going to give you to be used? I was riding my brother's motorcycle from his house to my house in Indiana between 37 miles of corn. And I ran out of gas, and it was nighttime, and I really didn't know when the next car was going to come by or whether they were going to be helpful. And it wasn't a minute later before a man pulled over, and he said, I've never done this before, but God told me to pick you up. And I thought, here's a man who was ready and willing and listening to be used by God, And then I thought, couldn't all problems be solved this easily? But you might be that solution for someone else, that you could be used by God in someone's life. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? The response this morning, the bottom of your page, is to ask yourself each day, How can God use me? I believe that being used by God is a part of the normal Christian life. I didn't grow up going to church, and my brother and I asked our parents if we could go to church. And my mom had an interesting observation when we were talking about where we could go to church. My mom said she didn't want us to go to a Jehovah's Witness church because Much of her family was Jehovah's Witness, and she was uncomfortable with that. And then she said uh, she didn't want us to be Catholic because it would require too much of a life change. Now, what does that say about Protestants? No life change necessary. Well, needless to say, it did change my life. And I think that that's the calling for each of us is that we would... uh, overcome that impression the world has of us that a life change is necessary and that we can be used by God. So let's pray for that now. God, we dedicate ourselves as vessels for your use and pray that you would open our eyes to the ways that other people are using us. Help us repent of the ways that we've been used by others and that you challenge us and enable us to be used by you in surprising new ways.